First scripture this morning is Psalm 116, verses 10 through 16. Um, 119, verses 10 through 16. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I, may, that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all my laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in the following of your statutes as one who rejoices in great riches. I mediate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Our second scripture reading is from the book of James, chapter 1. We're looking at verses 19 through 25. That's James 1, 19 through 25. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word, that has the power to save your souls. Be doers of the word, and not merely, merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word, and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves, and on going away, immediately forget what they saw. But those who, are, who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. The Word of God. So like Chuck said earlier, um, we are starting our Lenten season with our Lenten sermon series today. And we're using, uh, as he said, this book uh, that's put out by Renovare uh, that is on the idea of spiritual discipline. The book is called Engage by a guy named Kai Nielsen. This book carries us through six different spiritual disciplines. The first one we uh, talked about last week, or on this past Wednesday, for Ash Wednesday. And we, the spiritual disciplines are these different ideas that we can carry and practice to work on our spiritual life. And so that's the subject of this book that we're going through over the course of the next few weeks. But before we get started good, we've got to talk about what spiritual disciplines are. Uh, because it's something that I think we kind of gloss over sometimes. So often we think of Christianity as an, not necessarily an us versus them, but a label, right? And the goal of the church, of Christians, is to, to get more folks on our team to an extent. It is to make more Christians. Uh, but the, the Great Commission, the last thing Jesus says, is not therefore go make Christians of all nations. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go and make followers of me. Spiritual disciplines are the enacting of being a disciple. It is the, the actions that come with the title, that, the things that over time chip at us and make us more like Christ. Dallas Willard, uh, a famous Christian writer, wrote, he said, The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession of culture are identified as Christians who will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him 
how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. So it's through the development and maintaining of spiritual disciplines that we are able to work towards this goal. Spiritual disciplines are a way we train ourselves to be more like God, but that doesn't mean that they are somehow a measurement of how we are like God. They merely are exercises that help us develop a life of service, all the while while God is working through us. Each spiritual discipline is is similar to an exercise of the body. Just because you have an appropriate exercise regimen does not mean that you are the epitome of health. It just means you're getting there. The discipline we're talking about today is the discipline of study. Now, for many of you, when you hear the word study, you immediately have like nightmare flashbacks to high school history classes. And you're trying to keep up with note cards covered in dates and locations, just trying to get done. For others, you might picture a Sunday school class with Bible verse drills or trying to be the person that can say the books of the Old Testament faster than anyone else. But however you look at it, study seldom seems to feel like a spiritual discipline and tends to feel like, at best, cerebral and at worst, lifeless. But as a spiritual experience, study can bring us closer to God. We have a tendency to consider the brain as a separate or even hindering part of our spiritual formation. That somehow God has to get around our brain to get to our heart. But that isn't the case. In fact, if you let it, love can set in through the brain faster than it can go any other way. But in the church over the last few centuries, we've developed a couple of habits that have kept the spiritual practice of study distant. Firstly, as I mentioned before, we've made our language of the spiritual life focus on the emotion. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no untrue distinction between emotional knowledge and mental knowledge. Uh, But as we'll discuss over the next few weeks, emotions are a pivotal part of what makes us Christian. But we've done wrong by divorcing study from the development of understanding and the development of emotional knowledge. The best way that I can explain that is when I first met Alicia, I was a fool. I'm still a fool, but very slightly less so than I was before. I've learned more about who I am emotionally through learning more about her. And in our eight years, I often know less than I think I do, but I'm learning. Now, this doesn't feel like study because it is just a natural extension of our relationship. When you're with someone, you want to know more about that person. But because two people are in relationship working themselves out over time, there's still this dedicated attempt to know in that study. The fascinating realization of studying God is that there is so much more to study. I feel when learning more about my wife that I will never know everything, that there will always be some facet of her that I don't know. How much more is an infinite God to learn? There's this other thing that we fail to do when we talk about study as a church. In order to make God more palatable and marketable, we flatten God out whenever we get a chance. 
We've done away with complicated bits like mystery and metaphor and even history to say beyond reasonable doubt, God is blank. What we're really doing when we talk about God in any way is talking through metaphor. God is so expansive. God is bigger than human language. So all we have is metaphor. But once you take a metaphor and you take like out of it, then what you're doing is flattening it out and making it an idol, basically. When we say God is like a man who, and we take all that out and just say God is a man who, we're flattening God out. When we say God is like a rock, and we say God is a rock. When we are taking out any sort of poetic and making it 100% a verifiable truth, we're taking metaphor and mystery out of our language. Scripture might tell us that Jesus is like a sacrificial lamb, and we say, okay, Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, pack it up, we're done here. But the thing about Scripture is it isn't ever that cut and dry. It'll contradict and add nuance in so many different ways. When we try to do this, we end up with an understanding of God that's held together with chicken wire and shoestring instead of just letting God run free in our lives, our minds, and our imaginations. The last thing we tend to do as the church when it comes to this, to study that's made study lose its place as a spiritual discipline in our lives is that we've made study dangerous. There tends to be an undercurrent of making sure if folks are reading, they're reading the right things. And if folks are reading that they don't take it too seriously and that if folks are reading that they listen to us first. We tend to look at the lectionary text today. Uh, so the first week of Lent, the lectionary text is almost always Jesus out in the wilderness and being tempted by Satan. We tend to look at that story and replace Jesus with ourselves and replace Satan with a library. We tend to make the wealth of knowledge that's available out there tempting um, and, by extension, dangerous. I think this fact comes from us failing to treat study as a spiritual discipline. So we've never been trained on how to do it spiritually. So how do we engage study as a spiritual discipline? Richard Foster explains, The discipline of study first demands a humble spirit, recognizing that the chief end is not merely to amass a wealth of information, but to experience it, to learn from it, and to be changed by it. It's vital to study not only books, but also those things around such as nature, relationships, events, and cultural values. Through the steps of study, repetition, concentration, comprehension, and reflection, a person emerges transformed in awe of the beauty of God and of the world around them. When we study spiritually, we're not just reading scripture or books or any other form of media specifically made to store information but we're engaging with information. We're allowing it to be a conduit through which God engages with us. Sometimes this will be through affirmation, through God saying, this is what I'm like. And sometimes it will be through God revealing the humanity in what we're reading, revealing the people that wrote it in the world that they walked in. The fiction writer Stephen King said, Books are a uniquely portable magic. It's 
probably the only thing he said that I've ever really liked. Um, but what he's saying is that books create a conversation through time and space with the author and the reader. He's talking about fiction, of course, but the same could be said of reading a 14th century nun, or reading a pastor in the middle of Oklahoma, reading a monk who waxes poetic about meeting God while washing dishes. This could also be said of a gospel writer, a prophet, or an apostle. One of the most beautiful parts of the Christian walk is that we walk it together. We walk it not only with the people in this room, but we walk it with the Christians that have come before us, and if you write, the Christians who will become, come after us. We have the opportunity to walk with those that have come before us just as we walk with each other and we walk with Christ. Now, of course, Scripture is different than just any other book talking about God. It's a collection of writings of people on the ground trying to make sense of all of this. The Hebrew Scriptures of the Old Testament are fascinating as a resource because it is what Jesus had, it is what Jesus read, and it is what Jesus knew. So it can connect us to him. The Gospels can connect us to him just as much, if not more, because they are telling his story. We are reading his words. And we are understanding that, that as the word of God, Jesus is what God had to say to us. He is the example that God sets. And the, the rest of the writings of the New Testament are those closest to Jesus and those close to them trying to make sense of what just happened in their life and in their world. We have beautiful poetry throughout Scripture, like in the 119th Psalm that we read earlier in the service, that says that in order to follow God, we must know God's word and meditate on it. We have Scripture like in the book of James that we also read earlier in the Scripture, that who, as the brother of Jesus, is talking about this in a way that hits home very personally to him. Ultimately, study informs not just our head and our hands and our feet, as, Jesus, as James tells us. We should not just be hearers of the word. We should not just accept it, but we should also do what the word tells us. We should go and do. That's the most important part of the spiritual discipline of study, because it is the seed that gets us moving. It is what gets us to continue, what gets us to persevere. In connecting with our history on a deep level through study, we're able to live out the reign of God in the world. We're able to love like Jesus loved, and in doing so, allow ourselves and the world around us to be changed. In this season of Lent, when we're called to repent and to become more like Christ, we have the opportunity through spiritual study to discover what that means. In 2 Timothy, the writer suggests that we study in order to show God that we're approved by God. I never understood that language. I thought it was kind of silly. If God approves of us, why do we have to prove to God that we're approved by God? This didn't make sense. But then I started thinking about it, and maybe we have to study to learn that God approves of us. We have to study to become closer to God so we can understand that relationship, so we can show ourselves and show God that we understand that God approves of us. Because once we understand that God loves us, then we can go out and love the world.
Let's pray.